All right, I'm doing part five on the end times. Let me go ahead and open with the scripture. We got a lot to cover. It's going to be powerful tonight. Let me guys love God's word. Isn't it awesome? All right, Second Corinthians eleven three, the apostle Paul said, "I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ." That's kind of where I'm going tonight. That's the anchor scripture, if you will. Let me read that again. The Apostle Paul was warning the Corinthians. He said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So be a lot of people in these last days, the Bible said that there'll be a great falling away. It said people will abandon the faith. In the 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, The God of this age talking about Satan, little g, God, okay, of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Well, tonight's going to be a little bit different. I've covered a lot of ground in this. I mean, we've gone through the 70 weeks. We've, we've looked at the feast days. You know, we've looked at Daniel and Revelation and all of that. Next week, I'm going to be covering a lot about Israel. Israel's the fig tree. It, it is God's timepiece. It's a centerpiece about end time prophecy. I'm going to be covering that next week. So be sure to be here. It's going to be a powerful word. And then I'm going to deal, the last part I plan, unless the Holy Spirit changes my mind, I plan on dealing with America and some things ahead for our nation. But as I get into this, I'm going to deal with some prophetic words tonight, so it's going to be a little bit different. What I want you to do is just give me your best ear. I'm going to read a couple things to you, okay? Some of you guys, maybe you've read a book called The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. If you have not read that book, I recommend, I want to get this out there on recording, I want people to hear this. I recommend that people hear that word, It's very, or read that book, I'm sorry, it's very important in these last days. It's got a lot of important information. But I want to read to you a vision that Rick had. I want you guys to give me your best ear about this. I want you to hear this, because these, these couple things I'm going to share at the beginning that are not in your notes are going to be very important throughout the rest of the sermon, okay? So at the beginning of the final quest, Rick wrote about a vision he had, and he said, I saw a demonic army so large that it stretched as far as I could see. It was separated into divisions, with each carrying a different banner. The foremost and the most powerful divisions were pride, self-righteousness, respectability, selfish ambition, and unrighteous judgment. But the largest of all was jealousy. These are banners that satanic armies were marching under these banners in sections. Okay? It says they were marching under banners, let me read it again, of pride, self-righteousness, respectability, selfish ambition, and unrighteous judgment. But the largest was jealousy. The leader of the vast army was the accuser of the brethren himself. I knew that there were many more evil divisions beyond my scope of vision, but these were the vanguard of this terrible horde from hell that was now being released against the church. As we're living in the last days and I deal with all these different prophecies, there's no way to cover adequately a teaching about the end times unless you're also going to do a little bit about spiritual warfare. Let me read a little bit more. It says, The weapons that they carried had names on them. The swords were named Intimidation. 
How many of you guys have ever felt the enemy try to intimidate you? The spears were named treachery. That has to do with betrayal. The arrows were named accusations, gossip, slander, and fault finding. Now this is significant. Scouts and smaller companies of demons with such names as rejection, bitterness, impatience, unforgiveness, and lust were sent in advance of this army to prepare for the main attack. I knew in my heart that the church had never faced anything like this before. So these spirits that were sent in front were things like rejection, bitterness, impatience, unforgiveness, and lust. And they were sent in front to help open up a doorway for the others to come. You see what I'm saying? For example, somebody could feel rejected and that opens a door for other things. Somebody could feel bitterness because they're not dealing with stuff and it opens a door. They could feel unforgiveness, lust, whatever, and it opens a door for a greater attack to come in behind them. So these were going in front and they were preparing the way by opening up a door. The main assignment of this army was to cause division. Satan's kingdom is always about causing division in the body of Christ. It's very easy, unfortunately, for him to do that. It was sent to attack every level, every level of relationship, churches with each other, congregations with their pastor, husbands against wives, children against parents, and even children with other children. The scouts were sent to locate the openings in the churches. That's why we've got to be careful to make sure to deal with things and not leave a door open for the enemy. So scouts were sent to locate openings in a church, and once they found it, then others would come in through that opening. Families or individuals in the church that had rejection, bitterness, or lust, etc., they could exploit that and make a larger breach for the divisions that were coming. The most shocking part of this vision was that the horde was not riding on horses, but on Christians. Most of them were well-dressed, respectable, and had appearance of being refined and educated. These were Christians who had opened themselves up to the powers of darkness to such a degree that the enemy could use them, and they would think that they were being used by God. The accuser knows that a house divided cannot stand, and this army represented his ultimate attempt to bring such complete division to the church that she would completely fall from grace, which of course is not possible, but this is the attack. Now, the prisoners that were in this, they had people that were marching, and they were being used of the devil. Okay, they were Christians. But they were prisoners that were being behind them, that were captive. And trailing behind these first divisions was a vast multitude of other Christians who were prisoners of this army. These are people that had been wounded by the army. Are you hearing me? By other Christians that wounded them and injured them, now they had become imprisoned. And they were all wounded and they were guarded by little demons of fear. That's why it's so important to not allow any fear in your life, okay? There seemed to be more prisoners than there were demons in the army. Surprisingly, these prisoners still had their swords and shields, but they did not use them. It was shocking to see that so many could be kept captive by so few of these little demons of fear. These could have been easily destroyed or driven off if the prisoners had just used their weapons. Above the prisoners, the sky was black with vultures named Depression. 
The Bible says God's given us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Sometimes there's a heaviness that tries to come overhead. And, of course, Rick saw this in, in a figurative sense by seeing all these vultures overhead, and it was, depressed, it was depression, but it was just a heaviness, okay? They could have been easily destroyed or driven off if the prisoners had just used their weapons. But these vultures would land on the shoulders of prisoners and vomit on them. The vomit was condemnation. How many of you guys have ever felt condemnation? When the vomit hit a prisoner, he would stand up and march a little straighter for a while, but then he would slump over even weaker than before. Because condemnation does not feed you. It tears you down. Again, I wondered why the prisoners did not simply kill these vultures with their swords, which they had to be easily could have done. Occasionally, now this is real typical once you hear this, occasionally a weak prisoner would stumble and fall. And as soon as he or she hit the ground, the other prisoners would begin stabbing them with their swords and scorning them as they did so. And they would then call for the vultures to begin to devour the fallen ones before they were even dead. This is the church. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I know this is really encouraging right now. All right, as I watched, I realized that these prisoners thought that the vomit... Now, this is... As I watched, I realized that the prisoners thought that the devolvement of condemnation was the truth of God. It's a lot of people, when they come under the influence of something, they think that a lie is the truth, and the truth is a lie. And these people were feeling like this condemnation was of God, and it was the truth of God. That's, that's the reason why they weren't fighting things off, because they really felt this was God. Then I understood that these prisoners actually thought that they were marching in the army of God. This is why they did not kill the little demons of fear or the vultures. They thought these were messengers from God. The darkness from the cloud of the vultures made it so hard for these prisoners to see that they naively accepted everything that happened to them as being from the Lord. Now I'm going to read one more story, but I want you to see... As I get into this, this is totally different than what I've been preaching on as far as I'm dealing a lot with spiritual warfare. But I want you to understand, there's a real spiritual battle that's going on in these last days. And most people are clueless about what's going on. And whenever these spirits are, are using Christians, and I'm going to get into this later, but Christians sometimes allow themselves to come under the influence of something, and they begin to oppose you know, revival and move of God, they begin to oppose other Christians, and they really feel like that that unrighteous judgment that they're leveling against other people, the criticism, the slander, the gossip, the, acu the accusations, the accuser, the brethren, they really feel like all that stuff that's going on right there, they feel like it's God, and God's using them, but they don't realize it, but they're actually marching with the enemy and serving His purposes. And they're actually an enemy to what the Lord's doing in the last days. Let me read to you one more story. Now, this story does not surprise me at all. Not at, not where, because this is about where we live, okay? There's a woman named Sandy Freed that wrote this book. It's on the Jezebel Spirit. It's a powerful book. But I want you to listen. While her and her pastor, I mean, sorry, her and her husband were pastoring a church in Texas. Okay, I'm going to read to you an experience that they have. Let me just say again that this does not surprise me, okay? Okay, it said that they experienced many witchcraft attacks from a Jezebel stronghold. 
Our church had a strong, um, this is, I'm reading the book, so this is their church. It said that they had a very strong apostolic prophetic ministry with a mandate to fulfill Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 in training and equipping the saints, especially in the prophetic ministry. So she was saying we were prime targets for a Jezebel spirit who promotes and operates through false prophecy, attacking all true prophets and prophetic ministries. Our church experienced a horrendous attack from what I refer to as sniper maneuvers. In other words, Jezebel sent a SWAT team to sow seeds of false prophecy. This resulted in many of us suffering from confusion, physical infirmities, and strange diseases such as unusual skin conditions with no medical explanation at all. Even strange tumors that appeared then disappeared after prayer. During this attack of Jezebel spirit on our church in Texas, I sometimes personally felt like the breath was being squeezed out of my lungs, and I feared for my life. Have you ever felt as I did that the life and breath was trying to be squeezed out of you? And she went on to write, The python spirit is loose whenever Jezebel's in the midst. It squeezes life out of hope, breakthroughs, and finances. It constricts to the point of being able to move, unable to move into your future. Not only does Jezebel desire to steal our future inheritance and blessings, but this evil power also targets the anointing. When our church experienced Jezebel's wrath, we called our leadership together to fast and pray. It was a time to expose this spirit to the congregation and defeat it. Now this, this is interesting. On the day that I was to preach and expose the manifestation of Jezebel, I awoke with a sickening headache and could barely get out of bed. I struggled to get to church. I felt weak and faint. As I began to preach, I became so confused I could barely speak. And I heard the Lord say to me, Jezebel has targeted your anointing, but do not allow her to seduce you into stopping. Rebuke the spirit and I will empower you. I knew that Jezebel had no power unless she was able to seduce us. If she can seduce you into believing her lies, and that's a key, don't ever believe the lies of the enemy. Then she gains the victory. The Lord reminded me that other manifestations of Jezebel's witchcraft were dizziness and confusion, so I asked the congregation to pray with me and rebuke this manifestation of Jezebel. Suddenly the dizziness and the confusion left, and I was able to proceed with my message and expose the Jezebel stronghold. Since Jezebel hates repentance, I was determined to defeat her tactics by leading the congregation in prayers of repentance. We began to ask the Lord to forgive us if we've ever tolerated this demonic power. Right in the middle of the prayer, a woman in the congregation began to scream and falsely prophesy. Yea, saith the Lord, I'm not in this place. I'm not in the dance. I'm not in the prophetic ministry. I'm not here. Then she fell to the floor and did not move as if to persuade us that she had been slain by the power of God to make her prophecy more convincing, you know. So my husband Mickey and I look at each other and both aware of the false voice. It was a Jezebel manifestation. The nerve of that spirit, I thought. I signaled for our ushers to make her stand up and I was getting angry now. And here I was teaching against witchcraft and the assignments of Jezebel and the spirit rose up in an attempt to gain attention like that. How could a true prophet of God prophesy something like that? Amazingly, the woman after our service came up and wanted to join our church. And I thought to myself, why would she want to join a church she felt like God was not in? So she said her husband and her knew that Jezebel was attracted to the true prophetic ministry. And we asked her to commit to our new members class and some counseling. At first she squirmed. Searching for all types of excuses why she could not attend the classes. And then came, uh, then came the big question, why do I need counseling? Finally, I had an open door to speak truth to her. So I explained to her that I had discerned that she was operating in confusion, 
that she had experienced periods of rejection in her life, and I tried to be loving and helpful as I continued to minister, minister to her through the Word, the Word of knowledge and prophetic insight. The anointing was upon me, and I spoke the truth, and the Holy Spirit powerfully ministered to her. She began weeping uncontrollably. After some intense ministry, she submitted to counseling and deliverance. Now, this is what I want to get to. I wish I had a good report to share. During ensuing deliverance sessions, the woman refused to repent, as is typical, and continued to make excuses for her behavior. She accepted no responsibility for her actions and continued to blame everybody else. After sessions, she phoned the church members. Now, here's... I'm connecting this with the story I just read to you. Okay, so watch how this maneuvered. After her deliverance sessions, counseling sessions, she would phone other members in the church. Okay? And was complaining about the lack of anointing. She had manipulated other members to feel sorry for her. She made her way onto the intercessory team and attempted to control the prayer meetings. During intercession, she supposedly received direction from God how the church finances were to be spent, who was really called to be leaders, who wasn't. And though she had not continued her deliverance sessions, she wrote letters about how God wanted deliverance sessions for everybody else. And then she goes on to write, I'm still in shock. Now, please hear this. This pastor wrote, I'm still in shock as I remember how many of our congregation this woman deceived. Her group of sympathizers rallied to her defense as we spoke more truth. She lied about me and other leaders and anyone who tried to speak the truth to her. So just the fruit of, a, of lying should be enough to be a warning. She even attempted to drive a wedge between my husband and I. This lady's writing. One of Jezebel's seductions is to target the, target the senior leader and seduce that person into believing her lies. This is especially dangerous if Jezebel's a female and targets a male leader who's married. But because her husband and her had a strong commitment to each other, there was no way that this Jezebel spirit was allowed to bring division between us. Now listen, after she confronted the woman for lying to her husband and others, she left the church. If she had not left on her own, we were going to ask her to leave. We had desperately tried to help her receive healing and restoration, but because of her constant resistance and lack of repentance, we knew she had to go. It took months to clean up the messes that she had caused and to fully expose the lies that she had concealed. Remember that Jezebel is linked to an occult spirit which keeps things hidden. The word occult means hidden. Only after much prayer and spiritual warfare were all the hidden things revealed and all the negative effects eradicated from our midst. I could read a lot of stories like that, but that just gives you an example where I'm going tonight with some of the spiritual warfare. As we're living in these last days, excuse me, there's going to be serious spiritual warfare that's going on, and you need to be aware of it. You need to know what's going on, okay? You need to discern it. Many Christians do not have any discernment at all. I'm just being honest with you. I believe a lot of you guys do, but most Christians do not because they stay within the realm of their natural intellect and they refuse to get into the realm of the Spirit and discern things by the Spirit. And the problem is, most people want to set the center of balance with, because of their own personal idiosyncrasies, because of their own pet doctrines, because of their cultural deceptions, and because of everything else that has played a role in their life forming who they are, they decide what the center of balance is supposed to be in churches. And anything they feel uncomfortable about, they reject and attack it 
But let me tell you something. God's center of balance, praise God, is not our center of balance. Most people, because of arrogance, how many knows there is a possibility? Though it may be very difficult for some people to, to really grab this, but there, it is a possibility maybe there's something that we don't know. That's hard for some people. Maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe somebody has tapped into something by the Spirit of God that you're not familiar with. But see, a lot of people, they get prideful, just like I read about these divisions of pride. And they begin to attack, they begin to criticize, they begin to fault find, and they come against things that is outside of their little box. But I'm here to tell you, God is not in your little box. He's not going to ever be in your little box. Amen? And because if somebody is humble, a humble person will humble themselves and be teachable and say, you know, Lord, maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe there's something I could learn. God, if you're in this, if you're moving, I want what you have for me. But if you're not, I don't want it. But I'm humble enough to be open to something different. But arrogant people, what they are, is they're critical. And they're marching with the wrong army. And they're coming against revival and coming against the move of God. They serve the devil's purposes. And in the end, when they stand before the Lord, they're going to be judged for it. So I'm going to end this thing tonight with a vision about God's last day army. Because we're living in the time of the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit the world has ever seen. We're going to see the greatest anointing. We're going to see the greatest harvest of souls. I've written down some things about random biblical symbolism. I've already covered numerology. I've already covered colors and metals and all of that. But I'll just real fast just read through this. You need to know this to understand Bible prophecy that white linen speaks of righteousness. The goat's hair speaks of the prophetic ministry. Ram skins dyed red speaks of the blood of Jesus and the sin offering. The black goat's hair speaks of sin. The badger skins are plain skins that cover the tabernacle I'll talk about later. The lamb represents Jesus as the lamb of God. And the goat many times is the evil counterpart to the lamb, which is Satan. The oil represents the anointing. Incense, made up of four parts, represents praise and worship, prayer and intercession. Mountains and hills speak of governments. Night, venomous, and violent wild creatures usually speak of demons. Light speaks of truth and revelation, while darkness speaks of deception and lies. Flies speak of lies. Stars represent angels, fallen angels, or God's servants, depending on the scripture. Different beasts, I describe them there. Heads and crowns speak of authority. Horns speak of power. Robes and mantles in the color purple speaks of royalty. Rivers, fire, dove, rain, wind can speak of the Holy Spirit in various manifestations. Fire can also speak of judgment or cleansing. Height speaks of levels of authority. The higher you go, that's why God's in the third heaven. It's the highest heaven. Large bodies of water like oceans and seas usually speak of large masses of people. Yeast speaks of sin. I want you guys to actually go all the way to the back and look at the tabernacle for a moment. I'm going to come back. Listen, I'm about to really get into what I wanted to get into tonight. Okay? So when you look at the tabernacle, look at the bottom picture. The outer court, that white fenced-in area is about the size of a football field. 
I want you to see, they had the burnt offering there, but I want you to see that tent. That tent had the holy place and then the holy of holies. And that was the pillar of fire by night that kept them warm. Now I want you to look at the top one. That one has the cloud by day. But when you look at it, this is how the tabernacle goes. And I'm going to explain this here in a minute, but I'm going to give you a visual. You go from the left to the right because the left is the east. And you see that the gate there is different colors, which I'll talk about that. You go through the gate. There's only one way in. And then you had the burnt sacrifice where they would take the lamb and they would cut it into five pieces. It pointed to Jesus as the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. They would take the blood of that animal. It would be, it would be sprinkled on the sides of the altar and they would burn it there. And it spoke of the cross. Then you'll go to the laver. You can see that bowl of water there, okay? They would, the priests would have to wash their hands and feet, and they would be cleansed. They'd be ready to go into the tabernacle, into the tent. The first part of the tent, you can see it here because they rolled back the covering. It's called the Mishkin. They rolled it back. And the holy place that you go into, it has that lampstand, it has the table of showbread, and it has the altar of incense. Then you go past that curtain, and the furthest part back, was the Holy of Holies. The priest could only go in there once a year. It was separated by a curtain and it had the Ark of the Covenant and God's glory was there. I want you to see this because I'm about to go through this with you in a powerful way. Now looking at the top left, you can see the priest. This was the high priest's garments. They had a layer of white like you see there. He had a, a turban on his head, a robe of righteousness and he had these pajama bottoms that were white. This is a layer of white and this is the garments of salvation. When you get saved, you're washed and made holy. The blue is the blue tunic, okay? It covers the white. And it represents the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the clothing of power. Because blue speaks of coming down from heaven. And on this blue tunic at the bottom, it had bells and pomegranates sewed in around the edges. Which speak of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Then there was a layer of gold. This gold is the layer of God's glory. And that's what God is doing in revival, is the glory of God is visiting His people. These, in my opinion, whenever Jesus gave the parable of the wedding feast and the wedding garments, these are the wedding garments. Priestly garments. Alright, I'm going to go through the anointing real quick. I'm going to cover this in the, as far as the tabernacle and the glory. When you look at that and you see that that tent is covered with badger skins, badger skins were something that were bland. So when you look at badger skins, there was nothing that would attract you to them. They were just plain. And how many knows whenever you look at the things of God from the outside, the world looks at the things of God and they say, you know, what is it that people are wanting to go in there for anyway? It's just a bunch of rules. They think people, well, people are just in it for the money. Oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. It's all just a bunch of legalism and rules that you have to measure up and do this and this. And they don't even understand it's the badger skins. The God of this age has blinded their minds where they cannot see Christ. They cannot see the glory that is in the gospel and they cannot see what we see. To them, it just looks like plain badger skins. But when you actually got into the tabernacle, it was beautiful. And let me show you a scripture in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When the man found it, 
He hid, he hid it again. Then he, with joy, he went out and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. You know, when you buy a field, there may be a treasure in that field, but when you buy the field, you've got to deal with the Coke cans. You've got to deal with the, deal with the torn down um, you know, barbed wire fence and the rocks and all the stuff. Somebody was driving down the road and threw their litter in your field. You've got to deal with all that stuff that's in the field. And a lot of people look at the body of Christ and they see. I'm going to tell you what they see. They see what I read to you earlier, all the infighting. They see all the bickering. They see all the division, all the attitudes, all the stuff that shouldn't be there. And because of that, it turns them off and to them it's badger skins. But I'm here to tell you, even though that's there, the Lord and His glory is still in the church. To get the treasure in the field, you've got to take the field with it. Some people that have a pride issue feel like, well, you know, I don't need church. I don't need the headache. I don't need all this stuff. I'm going to tell you. In these last days, people that are uncovered are going to, going to regret that because there's a covering of protection in the local church. You can get hurt in church. I want you guys to hear me. This is where I'm going tonight. You can get hurt in church. There's people that are backstabbers. You may see people that will say one thing to your face and be another way behind your back. They're backstabbers. They're troublemakers. There may be some hypocrites. There may be some people like that in the church. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm still going after God. I made up my mind. I want you to hear me. You can make up your mind however you need to make it up. But I made up my mind. Come Jezebel spirits. Come satanic attack. Okay, come liars. Come people that are going to be Judases. Whatever it is, I'm going after God. And when you look at the tabernacle, the outer court was lit up by natural sunlight. And that's where most people live. They just see everything from the natural perspective. Most people have never understood. They don't even understand it. They, they cannot wrap their mind around true discernment where the Holy Spirit is giving you revelation. Because there's different ways you see. I can hold this up and show you this and you see this with your natural eye. That's the way most people live their whole Christian life. There's another way you can see. You can see mentally. You know, we take a little bitty kid and you put him in kindergarten and you show him two plus two equals four. And then they finally get it. That they're seeing it. They're, oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Two plus two. They're seeing it with their natural mind. But there's a total difference between that and seeing things by revelation. It's by divine revelation where the Holy Spirit reveals something to you that you could never get on your own. You see, you can see with your body, that's natural. You can see with your mind, but there's a total difference between seeing with your spirit, man, and the Holy Spirit revealing things to you. That's why the book of Hebrews talks about, he says, by constant use, they train their inner senses to discern good from evil. And I'm talking about discernment because you need to know some of these things. You need to be able to get past just the natural. Because sometimes I've seen people, they get under the influence of the enemy. And next thing you know, man, they're, they're hurting so many other people. And they don't even realize they're doing it. And they feel like that they're being used of God. The way that that thing works a lot of times, it makes the bad guy look like a victim. Everybody feel sorry for me. Just like I read about in the story. Everybody, let's all have a pity party and feel sorry for so-and-so 
that's going through such a tough time. And the whole time they're being used of the devil to try to destroy other people. So it makes the, the bad guy look like a little victim. Everybody feels sorry for him. And the person that's the victim, that's the target of the abuse and the betrayal, it makes them look like the bad guy. You know how many times I've seen that play out? When you look at the tabernacle, you see the outer court represents your flesh. It's your body. The holy place is your soul. And the holy of holies is your spirit. The outer court, y'all follow me, represents the law of Moses. It's the work of the Father. The holy place represents the work of Jesus. And it's the church age. And the Holy of Holies is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be in the millennial reign of Christ. The glory. This is deep. Everybody say this is deep, Pastor Scott. Hosea, 4, or Hosea 6, 1. As I'm talking about the last days. So you see that the church age. I'm sorry, the, the age of the law, the church age, then the millennial reign. You see the Father, you see the Son, you see the Holy Spirit. You see the body, soul, and spirit. All that's there. Three, the number three, as I've taught you guys, has to do with a divine number, resurrection, eternity, and all that. Hosea 6.1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us and He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage, bandage us. He will revive us after two days and raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. And we know that Peter said a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The two days that this is talking about is the 2,000 years, the church age, because the Jewish people were scattered most of it. The third day that it's talking about here is where the Jewish people have become a nation. It's talking about the millennial reign of Christ. You see what I'm saying? God is going to resurrect. He's going to move again in, in Israel at His coming. It's the millennial reign. But there's a narrow path of life for us to follow. The Bible says to consider both the kindness and the sternness of God, the balance of love and preaching against sin. This is a big issue. Because some people, all they ever do is they're just constantly preaching God as being angry. It's very condemning. It beats people up. And that type of thing causes people to feel beat up when they leave church and they feel like they can never measure it. But there's also a group of people, and I see them out there all the time, that God is always happy and they present Him as just, you know, this mindset of, you know, everybody's happy, God's always happy. It's just this, it's this seeker-friendly thing. And like the Lord's never upset about anything. The Bible says to consider both the kindness and the sternness of God. Yes, God is in a good mood sometimes. But yes, God is angry sometimes. Amen? Let's just tell it like it really is and present the whole gospel. Some people, all you ever hear out of them, God's in a good mood. God's happy. God's just, you know, let's just all just love each other. It's kumbaya, around the campfire. God's just smiling. He's, you know. There's times that God is angry. When you look at Jesus' life, there were times that he was happy. There was times that he was angry. Amen? I'm trying to show you both sides here. It's important that you consider both the kindness and the sternness of God because if you don't, it can take you off of that narrow path of life. You have to see Jesus for who He really is. I encourage you to find Him and know Him for yourself. 
And sometimes what people are getting is this distorted view of the Lord based on all they ever get is what they, what they hear at church or for somebody else that paints a picture to them of what the Lord is. But some people really don't know the Lord that well. And I'm encouraging you to know Him for yourself. Spend time in prayer. Get in the Word and get to know Him so that you know who He really is. And when we preach the Lord, we've got to preach the whole counsel of God and preach the whole Word of God and quit worrying about if somebody gets offended. I'm getting ahead of myself. But let me move into this. 1 Timothy 4.1, now dealing with doctrine. The Holy Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, people that just tell them what they want to hear. And we're living in the time where people really are abandoning the faith. People that at one time walked with Christ, now are heathen. They're out there in the world. Maybe now they're a witch. Maybe now they're, they're a homosexual. Now they're an atheist. Whatever. They fell away from the faith. They listen to seducing or deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. They listen to the voice of the enemy. And the problem is that a lot of people across this nation can sit through a lot of services and they can totally be in sin and they'll sit through that service unconvicted, not told the truth, and leave out of there exactly like they came. Sipping on their latte like nothing's wrong. But if the Word of God is really being preached, for real... People cannot do that. The Word of God convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. And there are certain things that you're going to have to get your roots down real deep and determine within yourself that no matter what happens, even if you see your best friend fall away, even if you see your own family member fall away, that you, that's what I was trying to tell you earlier, I've made up my mind I'm going after God even if I go alone. But here's some things that you're going to have to get your roots down deep. Number one is there's only one true God. Okay? There's not many roads. There's, there's one true God. And one road. And that's Jesus Christ. Okay? But there's one true God. There's not the God of Abraham and then Allah. There's not the God of Abraham and then Buddha. It's not like that. There's one true God. The second thing is you're going to have to determine in yourself and get it deep down within you that the Bible is the only infallible true Word of God. And that you're not going to allow any other deception in your life because I'm telling you there's not another book. The Bible is the inspired Word of God and that's it. Number three, you're going to have to get it deep down in you that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. It's not through works. And it's not through other religions. It's not any other road. I heard one comedian say, if you think there's many roads to heaven, then you know, just go home and just get on any road and it'll just take you home tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hitting a couple different points, but it's all going to come together. Having a home and a ministry of God's glory 
will be great protection in these last days. See, a lot of people don't understand because they only see things on the surface level. They can't understand what God is really doing behind the scenes. Unfortunately, some people, because of pride, they can't stand the fact that there's a possibility that God still has apostles in the earth, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The move of the Holy Spirit. They can't stand the move of God. They can't stand the move of the Spirit of God. Different things the Holy Spirit does will offend them and bother them. But let me tell you that God, in these last days, He's pouring out His Spirit in an awesome, awesome way. But it's going to be important because God is not just wanting us to get an anointing, but He's wanting us to come into His glory. And the glory of God in these last days is going to be an incredible protection over the people that are allowing the glory over their life. Isaiah 4.4 4 says, The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all the Mount Zion and all those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glowing flame of fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It's Isaiah 4, verse 4. That's where things are going. God is moving it from just being the anointing. See, much of the body of Christ has been in the outer court where everything's lit up by natural sunlight. That's all they see. And God has moved through revival. He has gradually moved much of the body of Christ that will have allowed him to. He's moved him into the holy place where there's an anointing and there's gifts that are at work. But where God is taking this, he's taking us into the glory. And the glory is going to be an armor and a defense for us. That's why the book of Romans says that the, it says the armor of light. You've got to read that and think, what is the armor of light? It's the glory. And not only that, but the glory is going to be a protection in these last days over God's people. So this is how it is. When you went into the tabernacle, it's funny because sometimes, you know, people that are first getting saved, they don't know what you're talking about. You start talking about the tabernacle. You start talking about somebody's soul and they, they body, soul, or spirit, and they're wondering, you know, the soul on the bottom of my shoe, you know, or, and they don't know what's going on. And so this is kind of deep tonight, but we're going to cover this. But when you go into the tabernacle, the first thing you went through was the gate... And the gate was the only way in, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only way in. And when you looked at the gate, everything else was white, but the gate was blue, purple, scarlet, mixed with white. And what that was, it represented Jesus, represented by the purple, because Matthew's gospel shows him as the king of the Jews. And you could see him through Matthew's gospel. You could see the blue, which speaks of John's gospel, which showed him as the son of God. And you could see him when you looked at the gate, and it was the red. And Mark showed Jesus as the suffering Savior. And then you saw the white, which is Luke's gospel, which showed him as the king of righteousness, the man that was a righteous man. And so all of that spoke of Jesus. And when you go through the gate of the tabernacle, you come through Jesus as the only way. That's the gospel. Then the first thing you see is the bronze altar which is the cross. So the gospel brings you to the foot of the cross. You see what I'm saying? The gospel brings you there. And let me tell you something about the cross. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that is the power of preaching the cross. Because it's not about 
just having your sins forgiven alone, but the power of what Jesus did for people on the cross was healing and deliverance. And that's what I really love about whenever Anthony's going out with the gospel. And he's preaching the gospel like he's preaching the gospel because not only is he bringing the gospel of salvation, but he's bringing the gospel of healing and deliverance. And it grieves me because talking about the kindness and sternness of God, whenever you go out and you see people, and I love them, but I'm seeing some people that they're going out there and they're running around, they're praying for people to be healed and then patting them on the back and letting them run off. I love those people and thank God that people are being healed and they are being healed. But what good is it going to do them if they spend eternity in hell? It doesn't even make any sense. The gospel of the kingdom is salvation, healing, and deliverance and all that. But you've got to understand, whenever somebody's getting healed, it is to bring them to a place where they're repenting of their sins and getting right with Jesus. It's an opportunity. But preaching the cross... Understanding when you preach the blood and you preach the cross that you bring it to people that it has the power. The preaching of the cross has the power to set people free. People are trying to take the blood out of the gospel. Man, let me tell you that Old Testament through the New, the blood goes all the way through. The second place they would go is the laver. And I want to stop here for a minute. The laver was a bowl of water where they would wash their hands and their feet. You remember, in, I believe it was in James where it talked about seeing yourself in a mirror then forgetting what you look like. And it was talking about the Word of God. When you look, Why does the Bible describe it as a mirror? It was just like the laver. When you looked at it, you could see your own reflection. The Bible shows you the reflection of how God really sees us. And here's the thing about the laver. The laver was without dimensions. Meaning you can have as much of the Word of God as you want. But one of the things I'm going to talk to you about, about the Word is this. In Psalms 119, 165, it says, Great peace have they which love your law, and nothing will offend them. Let me say that again. Great peace have they which love your law, and nothing will offend them. People that are easily offended are not grounded. Do you remember... Whenever Jesus taught about the parable of the seed and the sower, he said some of the seed fell and it had roots just for a short time, but the sun came up and scorched it. It didn't have deep roots in the good, good fertile soil. It just, it just had shallow roots. There are some people out there that are so shallow. And here's the thing. The level that God's presence and His Word are diminished in somebody's life, that same level that comes down is the same level that worldliness will creep in. We have to love God's Word. I love the preaching of God's Word, and I love whenever I'm hearing God's Word, and God is dealing with me about things. See, the Word of God is, is supposed to be a reflection that shows us where we look and compare ourselves to Jesus and go, my God, I fall so short. It's supposed to have that effect on all of us. But there's some kind of a counterfeit gospel out there that makes people feel good where they are. And it's all about their self-esteem. That's not biblical. The Bible doesn't say have a good self-esteem. The Bible says die. And let Jesus live his life through you. Seriously, it says I'm crucified with Christ. It's not I who live anymore. 
And it's a counterfeit gospel that's always trying to make people feel good. Listen, I'll speak to some people in King James, but if people are going to get offended at the Word of God, then be ye offended. <laughs> but the Word of God, it will convict of sin and it will offend people. The days of, of me worrying about that are long gone. I'm sure you've seen that. But I, I don't care anymore about that because the Word of God, when it's preached, it's going to convict people and the arrogant people will reject it and leave angry, but the humble people will accept the Word of God. And I love hearing, because whenever God is speaking to me through somebody that's preaching, I love being able to see an area that God could change in my life so that I could get closer to the Lord, more like the Lord. I love that. But those that love God's Word are not easily offended. Some people are so shallow that the littlest thing... I've seen some people that they're saved for years. 20, 30, 40 years. Saved for years. And here they are sitting in their pew and they got their little blankie and their little pacifier. Spiritually speaking. And they're sitting around crying and whining because somebody didn't shake their hand. Somebody didn't look at them right. Babies. Two words for those people. Grow up. Amen? But they're babies. And they can't take correction. They can't handle it. Anytime something rubs them the wrong way, they're out of church. They're away from God. They're out of the revival. They're offended because they got called down or corrected about something. We need to be humble enough that we can be corrected. Listen, there's, there may be some things you can get hurt in church. There may be some things here and there that's not right. But I've made up my mind that I'm getting my roots down deep in the Word of God. And I'm not going to be easily offended and flung off. I've made up my mind that I'm not going to abandon my post where God's put me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to have God have to pick somebody else to do what I'm called to do. I'm not going to do it. I've made up my mind that I'm going to stay in God's will for my life. And it doesn't matter. Somebody can be mean. Somebody can be hateful. Somebody can be a Judas. Somebody can be a, a Jezebel. Whatever come against me. It doesn't matter. I'm going to stay where God's planted me and do what He's called me to do. And listen, you've got to have the same heart about it. That you're not going to be easily offended. You're not going to be flung off just because somebody rubs you the wrong way. The next thing after the labor was the table of presence. The table of God's presence. This has to do with the power of communion and speaking blessings. I don't have time to get bogged down on that tonight because I've preached so many sermons on it. But you guys know the power of taking the Lord's Supper and the power of speaking blessings. The next thing after that was the lampstand. This has to do with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I would say a lot of people don't even know the Holy Spirit. But 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We need to get to know the Holy Spirit as a person. Did you know that your prayer life can be powerful? Your prayer life can be filled with the presence of God. God can speak to you. He can show you things. Your prayer life can be so awesome. But a lot of people don't even realize that. They live in the outer court. They've never gone in deep to the deep things of God. But getting to know the Holy Spirit, getting to know His voice is going to be critical. Because in these last days, Satan is trying to deceive people into marching in his army in opposition to what the Lord is doing. Are you hearing me? And people that don't know the Holy Spirit for themselves and don't know His voice, 
they have a tendency to listen to the wrong voice. See, I know the Holy Spirit's presence. So when another presence comes around, I know it's not Him. I know His voice. So when another voice speaks, I know it's not Him. And I know His Word. So when something's being told to me that's not true, it doesn't line up with the Word, I know it's not true. Everything has to be judged by the Word. Then you would go into the altar of incense. I'm taking you into a place of the anointing and the glory. Then you would go to the altar of incense, which represents praise and worship. And interesting, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, the altar of incense was in both holy place and holy of holies. And I believe that's metaphoric and symbolic because the worship is what takes you from the holy place into the holy of holies. And I believe that's the message that the book of Hebrews was trying to give us. But God's wanting our worship to really be from our heart and be everything the Bible says it should be. He wants our affections. He wants our desires. He wants our passion. He wants all of us. But the worship will take you into the Holy of Holies. Now, let me show you this. We all, when you come into a church service, let's just make this real practical. A lot of times when people first come in, it's like the outer court because they're in the flesh. They've had a long week at work, whatever. They come in and it just seems like an outer court experience. But then you start entering in. You take the Lord's Supper, you begin to enter into worship, and you move into God's presence, and you're moving into the holy place. And in the holy place, the gifts of the Spirit are active. The power of God is flowing. But ultimately, the Lord wants us to move into His glory. And here's how, in a practical sense, those that are calling the ministry, you need to hear me. When the Holy Spirit is moving, you've got to be ready to move with God then. There are certain times when the Holy Spirit begins to move a certain direction and I don't know if you remember the story where David was there with his army and the Lord told him, when you hear the sound of the rustling of the trees, you'll know that I've gone in front of you, then go. It's like that same type of pattern. The Lord has shown us, whenever the Lord begins to move a certain direction, you've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to discern that. And as soon as He's moving that direction, you've got to step out and move then with the Lord. And when you do, when you move with Him like that, it makes tremendous power available. It's explosive. But that's so important because that is the window when everything will go up to a new level. That's moving into the Holy of Holies, if you will, the glory. God, I'm telling you, God is moving us just be, not just in the anointing, but He's moving us into the glory. The Bible says in Hebrews to enter boldly into the holiest. How many times I've had in a service over the years where the Holy Spirit was moving, God was moving, things were going on, and the Lord would speak to me to do something. All of a sudden, as soon as I moved that direction, it was explosive. That is what I'm talking about. The way you really move into the power of God is through boldness. Boldness and faith. When God speaks, move. You've got to move with the Lord. If He speaks and you shy back, it's going to quench the Spirit of God. As soon as he speaks, he's moving a certain direction. You've got to go with that. Move with it. It may be a gift of the Holy Spirit. It may be praying for somebody, whatever it is. I remember hearing a story one time, just to illustrate this. There's this pastor. He's an awesome man of God. And I have a lot of respect for him. And um, he was there preaching in the middle of his sermon one time. And a woman had come into his service and was sitting in the back. And he just stopped in the middle of his sermon. And he said, the Lord told me, and he pointed at this woman. He never knew her. He'd never seen her before. 
So the Lord has told me that you're taking your kids somewhere and you yourself are going to go and you're, you're trying to put yourself into some kind of insane asylum or whatever because you feel like that you're going to go die, that you're not going to make it and you want your kids to be in a safe place. But the Lord says if you'll come down right now that the Lord's going to heal you. And of course she didn't know him and there's no way he would have known that. And he was right. And she was getting up and she was shaking under the power of God trying to go down there. And he said, I want you to hear me. He's, when the Lord spoke to him in the middle of his sermon, he stopped and went with the Lord. And whenever he called that woman forward and said, Now, Lord, she was hit by the power of God and totally healed. And her kids and that woman sat under his ministry for years, totally healed and in a right mind. But there's a boldness of stepping out. What was it that marked the early church? Boldness. They prayed together in one accord and the place was shaken by the power of God and they were filled with boldness. And whenever the Pharisees met with Peter and John, they, were, they, they noticed the boldness and they took notice that these men had been with Jesus. That's what it says in the Bible. They noticed their boldness and their courage and they took note and said, these men have been with Jesus. They're uneducated and unlearned men, but they saw their boldness and they said they've been with the Lord. So some of you, if you're leading worship, the Holy Spirit may move a certain direction. If you'll move with Him, when the Spirit of God is moving, there will be an explosion right there. You can feel it. Whenever somebody's preaching, whenever people are, you know, I may be praying for somebody over here, and the Lord speak to me about something over there, and as soon as I move that direction, the power of God comes. In an awesome way. I'm going to start moving to a close. Listen, I want to talk about the two witnesses. And then I want to give you the Lord's army here at the end. Traditionally speaking, as I've already taught you guys, this is traditional end time teaching. It shows that, you know, when Jesus took the scroll, remember the scroll is the title deed to the earth. Nobody was found worthy but him to open it. And when he started popping the seals, the first seal, the, the rider of the white horse, traditionally, that's the Antichrist, and that moves into the rapture and, and the seven-year tribulation. I don't 100% agree with that myself personally. Um, I, there's other people that believe like I do. But I believe that that rider on the white horse could be this last day of revival. Because we're seeing, as Jesus popped the seals on that scroll, what you see unleashed in the earth is the same things we're seeing right now. It's the same things that Matthew what Jesus taught about, he said there'll be wars and rumors of wars, there'll be famines, there'll be pestilence, you know, the nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, all those things, but it's represented in the seals. So when you read the seals, you see the very things that the Bible says is in the last days, the perilous times. As Jesus is popping those seals, I believe personally that that first writer probably speaks of revival. And the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible says in the last days, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men dream dreams. Young men have visions. And that's, that's the, a great outpouring of the Spirit 
the gifts of the Spirit and signs and wonders. And then, of course, the other writers come in and are releasing pestilence and other, and other issues in the earth, like death. And then what you have, as the seals are popped and Jesus opens the scroll, this is the title deed to the earth. You remember me talking about redemption. Jesus is going to redeem, after he opens that up, he's going to redeem, he's going to pull his bride out of the earth to come be with him in the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's also going to be a kinsman redeemer to Israel, and he's going to come back and redeem land. Those are the three things that were redeemed under law. But just as soon as the Lord is pulling out his church, the seal judgments have been happening. I was just reading, I was looking at today on the news and it was saying these, these crazy storms are now a new trend. But what they don't understand is it really is last day activity in the earth. They just don't see it. The world doesn't see it and they won't see it. But after the seal judgments, after the rapture, then at some point, the Bible says the Antichrist will make a peace treaty with Israel. When he does that, the moment that peace treaty is signed, and if Benjamin Netanyahu, who's the prime minister, whoever it is that signs it, whatever, that moment right then is going to start the tribulation. For the first three and a half years, it's called the tribulation. The trumpet judgments are going to come down. I've already talked about those. Then the last three and a half years is called the great tribulation. And these are the bowls of God's wrath coming down. So the first three and a half years, you got the trumpet judgments. And what you've got is the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are blanketing the Middle East and probably the world with the gospel. And people, it's the harvest of the earth. The last day harvest coming in. You know, it's, it's coming in now. I believe before it's all said and done, there's going to be billions brought into the kingdom in these last days. I do. But there's a great harvest already coming in. When the rapture takes place, that's another harvest. But these evangelists are going to fill the earth. There's going to be more harvesting. Now, those people are probably going to die for the faith. But after the 144,000 do what they're supposed to do, the Bible says they're going to die. They're going to give their life for the gospel. That's the first three and a half years of the tribulation. The second three and a half years of the tribulation, there's going to be these two, two prophets that are going to be raised up. You guys ever read about these guys? Let me read it to you. It says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court, do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles, and they'll trample, it, trample on the holy city for 42 months. I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days on earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire will come out of their mouths and devour their enemies. Now, who in the Old Testament called down fire? It was Elijah, remember? I'll get back to that. But they have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during this time. And fire will come out of their mouths, devour their enemies, and those that want to harm them, this is how they must die. Verse 7. Now when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is Jerusalem, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, 
Some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth, those who live in the earth, will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented them. (laughs) But after three and a half days, the breath of life of God will enter them. They stood on their feet and terror struck those that saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And so they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And at that very hour there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. These two witnesses are probably Moses and Elijah. And the reason I say that is because Elijah, when you, when you look in the Bible, he was the one that called down fire. And when you look at Moses, it said in here in verse 6 that they had the power to shut up the heavens, it would not rain, and they had the power to turn water into blood and strike the earth with plagues. That sounds like Moses. Okay? So it's probably Moses and Elijah. Some people think it's Enoch and Elijah because they were raptured out of here and all that. But it's probably going to be Moses and Elijah. But that's going to be the last three and a half years of the tribulation. I don't plan on being here. But I'm sure we'll know what's going on. And this is how I want to close this out. There's five crowns in scriptures for those that are overcomers. There's the incorruptible crown. This is for those that are faithful to run the race who crucify their fleshly desires. The crown of rejoicing. This is for those who were faithful witnesses for the Lord and led souls to Jesus. There's the crown of life for believers who endured trials and tribulation and severe suffering even to death. And there's the crown of righteousness for those who love the appearing of Christ. And finally, the crown of glory. This is for leaders that were faithful ministers of the gospel. And this is how I want to close this out. I want to read something. It's a bit different kind of sermon tonight, I know. It's been bouncing all over the place. But I want you to see the tabernacle patterns because God is wanting to take us into His glory. He already is in many ways. But I want to show you something because it's going to help you understand what God's doing. There's been prophecies that this nation is going to see another awakening and it will. People that say it won't don't know what they're talking about. There's another revival coming. The gloom and doom preachers and all them. Look, I understand about judgment. There's going to be an element of judgment there. It will be. But God's not through with America. America's about to see a great revival. Now, with that said, there's a a posturing and a positioning for this revival that's going on. And there's a lot of people that are not ready, but there's a lot of people that are ready. There's some that are a a spiritual wineskin that's ready for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and there's some that are not. And this will help understand some things I believe God is doing. Uh, This was another vision uh, by Rick Joyner in his book, The Apostolic Ministry. I really like this vision. It's it's ministered to me for years. But I want you to listen to this because I believe this has to do with some of you within the sound of my voice, okay? So I started this out talking about how Satan is trying to deceive people into marching with his army. I'm going to close this out now with God's army that's marching. Okay? This is God's army. For the last few years, this is Rick Joyner speaking, I've been given visions of a very unique and still quite small spiritual force that is being prepared in different places around the world. Those who are part of this force have the most fierce resolution in their purpose than any I've ever witnessed. In fact, whenever I think of them, this is the first thing that comes to mind. 
they are profoundly sure of who they are and where they're going. They also have an uncompromising devotion to the truth and integrity. Even though they tend to be severe in their demeanor, they are driven by their love for God and His people. They may also be the most supernaturally powerful people that have ever walked on the earth at one time. These will be known as the messengers of His power, and they will be walking coals of fire from the very throne of God who help set off revival and moves of God wherever they are sent. I do believe these people are all around us in the earth and God is, is about to unleash them. I believe it. It's a revival is causing people to come up to a place where they're, they're great soul winners, they're operating powerful in healing, and they're operating powerful in deliverance. And the power of God is strong on them. I believe some of you guys, in the sound of my voice, especially some younger people that are calling to the ministry, God's preparing you for this. These messengers of power are presently alive and are scattered all over the earth. It's hard to find more than a handful of them together in any one place at one time, though they will begin to congregate more in a few places. This is significant. Even so, a congregation that just has two of these at one time is exceptional. Many congregations, I want you to hear this, because I've seen this, this is happening to people. Many congregations cannot stand the fire that is on these emerging ones, and they will either drive them away, or they themselves will pull away from them, but they can't stand the fire that's coming off of them. I've seen that with my own eyes. Churches can't handle it right now. Some of them anyway. In the same way, they're having a hard time fitting in with the church in its present state. They are marching to a different drumbeat, a different sound. The enemy will try to take advantage of this and make them either bitter or rebellious, as he knows that this will be the most effective way to disqualify them from their purpose. Even though they resist becoming bitter or rebellious, most are far too focused and too serious to fit into the typical local church, church life as it now is. Because of this, the Lord is even now, and I want you to hear this phrase, because this is important. The Lord is even right now preparing places for them where they can join together with others who are called as they are. And these are God's special forces. If we understand that many unnecessary problems can be avoided and the whole church can greatly benefit from their ministry. Let me give you one more. In recent years, a number of great moves of God have been quite different from each other. Even so, and some of you guys are now more familiar with these moves of God. Even so, they have all worked together to prepare us for what's to come. There will be many more breaking out in various places. Amen? Those who are going to be the most prepared and part of what is coming are those that had the wisdom and the humility to visit and receive from these movements... For those who are gaining vision and perspective from the Holy Spirit, these different moves of God will start to make both a pattern and a trail become increasingly clear. In speaking of these movements, I'm not only talking about Brownsville and Toronto, though these were important. Also, in Asia, South and Central America, like Argentina, for example, Africa, Eastern Europe, and South Pacific, seeds have been sown and groundwork laid for a significant move of God to come out of Scandinavia that will be crucial for Europe. That's why God's got our feet in Scandinavia. I believe that. Russia and Turkey are going to experience some great moves of God in these last days. 
But hear this last part. The greatest fires of revival are going to break out and be sustained in places where many different coals from the fire have been brought together from different moves of God to be in the mainstream of what the Lord is doing in the earth. We must excel more and more at crossing national and denominational barriers for the interchange and cross-pollination of the Spirit. Those who continue in isolation will drift further and further from the river of life the Lord is now bringing forth in the earth. So what's happening is, is God has touched people in revival and they're like coals from the fire that's being gathered in places and God is preparing them. God's prepared places. I think that you're reading between the lines hopefully by now. But God's prepared places where these coals of revival can gather where other local church life are not ready for them yet. But when revival hits America and it really comes into full flame, it will be ready. And the church as we know it will change. And it will be able to receive these people. But right now, the typical church life is far too worldly, passive, playing games, playing political games. That they can't receive those that are actually serious about Book of Acts Christianity. There's a fire on them that irritates those places and it will drive those people will drive them back out of their midst because they can't stand that fire. So God is preparing places where those people can gather and be equipped and prepared because down the road when revival comes into full flame in America, there will be places for them and the church will look a lot different then than it does now. It's important to have the humility and the wisdom to understand that God does speak through prophetic people like Brother Rick and others that I've been reading from. Okay, These days are coming. Remember what Dr. Cho said? He said he saw revival. He said God's not through with America. He said revival's coming. It's going to begin in Pensacola, Florida and it's going to burn like a match head. And man, it did. I was there. And then he said it would move west 50 miles. And that's what it's, it's doing right now with the Bay Revival. I believe I heard, I heard someone say Louisiana in there, but Louisiana is already seeing a move of God, by the way. But it's, he said the revival would back up, back into the Florida area, go up the East Coast and hit up in New England. Then it would come across the nation down into the Southwest. Okay. Which I'm assuming would be Southern California, something like that, the Southwest. And then it's going to shoot up the West Coast to the Pacific Northwest. And when it gets there, he said, Mark, Mark this, when it gets there, all of America will be ablaze in the fires of revival. And Dallas and other people have prophesied Dallas will be the hub. The reason why things look like they do right now, there's a reason for it. God's preparing places where his special forces, those that are serious can gather and can see a move of God and you're being prepared for something down the road. Others that are listening to this, there's other places that God's moving powerfully, but you're being prepared. And God has taken some of you and He's baptized you in the fires of revival and you're like hot coals now. And maybe five, six years ago you weren't, but now you are. And God's preparing you because when revival sweeps this nation, He needs people they're going to be able to operate in revival because there's a great harvest of souls. And when revival spreads throughout America, 
there's going to be a massive influx of souls. And that's what revival is all about, is winning the lost. And it's also about the body of Christ falling in love with Jesus again. Amen? So this is the last thing I want to say. Be careful that you're not living under any type of satanic bondage. It's like I talked about marching under Satan's army. The Pharisees have always been there. You know, I mean, they were there in Jesus' day. They were very religious, very educated. They were well-dressed. They had a lot of money. But they hated Jesus. And they, they were his greatest enemy. And then during the Dark Ages... You know, the Catholic Church, it's a cult. It doesn't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we do. But as they they would burn alive at the stake and imprison people that were true Christians. They were the Pharisees of that era. But now in these last days, what you're seeing, the modern day Pharisees are the critics. And there are those that are critical. They're marching under a different banner than the Lord's banner. They're fault-finding, they're critical, they can't stand the move of God. And, and you know, they, they're educated, you know, they're well-dressed. They're, they're people that, that, in the nat- as far as the physical appearance and all that, they'd be somebody that people would respect. But the truth is, they're marching under a different banner. And they're opposing revival, they're opposing the move of God. And let me just warn you to make sure that you're not marching with the wrong army under the wrong banner. Make sure that you're not allowing any satanic death structures to settle over your life. Romans 8.2 says, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I want you to know this, the spirit of life. There's supposed to be a flow of life in church. A dead religion, a dead rituals going through the motions. You know... People get stuck in a rut. Like I said earlier, they they set the center of their balance. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. That center of balance right there is way off. It's supposed to be way over here. This is the center of balance. Where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. Where the power of God is flowing. Where people are being healed. Where people are being delivered. Where people are falling in love with Jesus. Where souls are being saved. Where lives are being transformed. That's the center of balance. See, in revival, when you look at revival going way back, there was reports of you know, people like uh, Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley would report people falling under the power, you know, weeping, laughing. All through church history, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The people that march under the wrong banner have been the Pharisees of every generation that have hated the move of God. And they would persecute it. Make sure there's no dead religion. Make sure you're not a Pharisee. Make sure that you're not trying in any way to hinder the flow of anointing or glory. Make sure you walk in forgiveness. And to keep a flow of life, make sure you're standing with Israel. Make sure that you are faithfully tithing to the Lord's work because that keeps a flow of life in your finances.